You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. I want you to imagine for a moment a famine. Imagine having no food and no water. Some of us, that would be more of a trouble than others. Um, For me, that's not something I want to think about. But imagine going through what many people in the history of this fallen world have gone through, and in fact, some still do to this day. Imagine a hunger so extreme that you would consider eating garbage or as once was sold for five pieces of silver, a certain portion of the dung of a bird when the famine was bad. Imagine a thirst so strong that for a glass of water, you would give up everything that you owned because that's how bad it was. Hungry and parched, you search for food and water and you find none. Few of us have ever faced anything like this because we live in a place that's frankly full of food and water, by and large. In fact, many of us struggle with the opposite, with an excess of food and drink and all the troubles that come with that. Uh, not, nothing particular for me, but for some of us, right? How many of us sat down after Thanksgiving dinner to loosen those pants just a little bit, loosen that belt up or put on some stretch pants? Because they kind of go with you, right? Wherever you, you take them and thought, I could not eat another bite. And then it was like, well, I mean, if there's pie, right? Maybe just a piece or three. But famine is rough. We were made to have nourishment. We were made to thrive when we eat properly. We do not have food and water. We wither. We die. That's what happens. Listen to what our God told his people Israel in Amos chapter 8. This is Amos 8, 8, uh, 11 through 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, they're in the back of the seats in front of you if you want to read out of a paper Bible. Um, And if you don't have a Bible at home, you are welcome to take one of those as our gift to you this morning. We want you to have the word of God. It's very important to us. Those are really nice Bibles that we bought because we didn't want to give you something um, cheap or less than. And so if you need a Bible at home, feel free to take them. Um, And otherwise, it'll be on the screen. You can look on your phone, whatever, but paper Bibles are there for you. Amos 8, 11 through 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. The people of Israel were not going to hear the word of the Lord anymore. He was going to give them a famine of his word. Now, we talked just a second ago about a famine of food and water and how difficult that would be in losing that nourishment and how we'd wither and die in that. But I cannot imagine a famine of not being able to hear the word of God. Because even in a real famine, where I'm struggling and suffering, I at least always have, no matter what I'm suffering, the word of God 
to give me hope. Without that, there would be nothing. There would be nothing. It's a terrible chastening of the Lord to have his words taken from us. The old saying is, you don't know what you have until it's gone. The idea is that we do not value things sometimes until we lose them and realize how important they really were to us. How about the word of the Lord? How important is that to us? How important is God's word? What about his wisdom and his knowledge? Do we value the words of the Lord? Because we have Bibles everywhere, right? A bunch of us have three, four, ten at our house. You got it on your phone. You got it on your tablet. You got one in the seat. There's about a hundred of them in the church building right now that you can grab. There's lots of Bibles. Not only that, you have the Word of God in thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, at least tens of thousands of sermons from solid Bible-teaching pastors that you can go get online anytime you want. Commentaries, different things that you can get to study God's Word. They exist out there. The question is, even with so much access, do we take it for granted? Do we take the Word of God for granted? What if we had to face what Israel faced in this time that Amos was prophesying about? What if we didn't get to hear the beauty when we were going through difficult things of verses like Romans 8, 28? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What a beautiful, beautiful word from the Lord. It's full of faith and hope and love, the love of a father for his children. What if you couldn't hear it? What if you were thirsty for it but couldn't find it? We should be moved by the word of the Lord. We should desire it. We should hunger and thirst for it, not wait for a famine. We should want it more than bread or water, far more. But we, as the church, don't. And I'm not specifically talking during this message about Acts Church particularly, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about Christ church globally. We don't always want the word of God. Now at Acts Church, we've had some series in the past for skeptics. You may have been here for some of those. And if the Lord wills it, we'll have more of those series um, as we go forward. But I want to have a kind of ongoing series. And we go to from time to time. You may have noticed I'm doing a lot of that. We have rooted you know, we have the, the Psalm series. Those are all things that we're going to come back and forth to. They fit in here. They fit in there. And so we're going through the Bible in different places. That hopefully keeps you from never getting too bored with what's going on. But I want to I have from time to time a Sunday or two uh, where we talk about issues that we study when we do the skeptics forums and the seeking skeptics and all that kind of thing. And this message is one of those, although not necessarily primarily for a skeptic but probably more a message for Christ's church if we ever want to be effective in bringing the word of God to the seeker or the skeptic. And so let's walk through this today. We have studied pretty significantly in the past uh, the issue of worldview or meta-narrative. Uh, if you have taken orientation or you're taking orientation now, I think it's week five, we do kind of an overview of worldview and meta-narrative. Uh, and for those of you who don't know about it, let me give you just kind of a quick one on it. It's the idea, um, it's kind of like a pair of glasses that you put on. 
Like imagine that you're, it's, it's summertime and you put those sunglasses on. And if you got the polarized lenses, I, I remember this guy in Tennessee, he's like, you got to put these things on, I got the polarized. And you put them on, you know, and things look a little bit different, right? Colors are a little bit different and so on. You kind of see the world a little bit differently through a set of polarized lenses than you do through a set of non-polarized lenses, okay? So if you've had that experience, the worldview is kind of like that. It affects the way that we intake and process the world, the things around us. It's a set of beliefs that sort of are the foundation, that they're the building, they underlie the way that we think. Therefore, when we hear something or see something, we are going to interpret it through our worldview. And everybody's got one. Nobody, there's no person who's like, I don't have a worldview. Yes, you do. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Um, it, it changes the way we interpret information based on the beliefs that we have that sort of underlie our worldview. Some of those beliefs are something that we could easily explain if somebody asked us. No problem. They ask us about the belief, we could explain it. And some of them are beliefs that we don't even realize that we have because we've never really thought about it. For example, uh, a belief that you are aware of. If I asked you, if you're, if you're kid or nephew or whatever said, why does the sun rise and set? You would say, because the world rotates, right? And so we see the sun sometimes, and we don't see the sun sometimes. Or if you were the flat earther type, it's doing something. I don't remember. I've seen the model. It's no, no offense. But you're going to have a belief about that. You're going to be able to explain it to them, right? Uh, an example of a belief you may not be aware of is something like, you're afraid of dogs. You think dogs are super dangerous, and you don't really know why, and then you find out from mom or grandma later that when you were two years old, you got attacked by a dog, and you've always been afraid of them since, but you didn't remember that. You just know that you've always thought of dogs as dangerous. It's just a belief that got put in there. Dogs are dangerous. Whether it was true or not, it was based on an experience that you don't remember or based on things that people have said. That's a belief that you would have that you wouldn't really know that you had. There are also beliefs that you catch. From culture, and you don't believe those things because you've thought about them and said, this really makes sense. You believe them because they've just kind of been picked up. I would call those the go-with-the-flow beliefs. They're just things that as you're going through life, they just sort of happen based on who you're around, what music you listen to, what shows you watch, who your friends are, where you live, all these kinds of things. You just pick up different beliefs you don't think about them. You're not processing them as they come in. They're just happening, okay? So you have a certain uh, amount of beliefs like this that you've just caught like a cold. So everyone, everyone, this is important. Everyone is selling beliefs. Everyone. Everyone is doing that. Everyone is selling philosophy. They don't put it in those terms. They don't treat it like that, but they are doing it. Everybody is trying to, in one way or another, put forward promote or persuade you to believe certain things. That's the way that people are. And there are people who are particularly good at it. And there are some who are particularly good at it because they get us to believe things without ever realizing that we have begun to believe this thing. There are actually people, and we are all susceptible to that. For instance, for a very long time, by and large, people all over, particularly in the United States, believed that it was wrong to have sex before marriage. It was long to live together with your girlfriend or boyfriend or fiance before you're married. People just believed that. It was just what we believed. By and large, most people believed it. 
But that's changed, right? Over time, as particular people in society who happen to be more popular stopped believing that and treating things that way and acted differently than that, and the people who make the shows and the movies and the books and the songs and the whatever started to believe differently than that and promote a different lifestyle than that without anyone ever coming out okay, and having a, a philosophical argument or anything like that. People just started to believe differently about that thing which they had once believed was true. It became unpopular eventually. It literally flipped to where it's become very unpopular to believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong. If you believe that, you are in a tiny minority of people where it used to be the great majority. And it hasn't happened because we had a big debate. It's happened because people have caught it. People have caught it over time. It's something that happens. It wasn't scientific theories and philosophy that changed people's minds. The view changed minds like cancer changes the body. It just gets in there and it starts growing eating away at a moral truth until very few people take that moral truth seriously anymore. Now, this would not be as big of a problem if it was not that it affected Christ followers also. When Christ followers aren't careful about their worldview, they also get infected with these cancers that people just catch. According to a Pew Research study from October of 2019, people were asked whether the following actions were acceptable. Are these things acceptable? One of them was, is sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship acceptable? So they're committed, they're consenting, they're, and so on. Now, the Christians who took the survey, 57% of them said it is always or sometimes acceptable for people, as long as they're in a committed relationship, even when they're not married, to sleep together. 10% said rarely. Rarely. And only 32% said never. And God says clearly in the Bible, never. Never. They're Christians. The Bible says never. And somehow they've caught something over time to make them believe differently about that thing. Because to God it is never acceptable. Never acceptable. The one who made us in his image and likeness and designed sexuality has told us how it works. And this particular one is never acceptable. And somehow, instead of a biblical worldview, they've come up with a very worldly worldview because they've caught it over time. But that was committed relationships. Maybe we'll get a more biblical answer to something more obviously immoral. So they also asked this. Is it acceptable to have casual sex with someone you were not in a committed relationship with? Is it acceptable to have casual sex? I just totally lost my place. This is the problem with technology. Hunter, fix this. All right. Is this thing coming apart here? Okay. Well, this can't go over there. This goes under this thing. We're just having a conversation. Dun, dun, dun. Give me a second, because it's going to be a lot better if I fix this. We'll all be happier in the end. All right. This goes like that. Yeah, all right. How are we doing? All right. Hunter, you can cut all that out of the video later, okay? He'll forget. He'll forget, I promise. Okay. <laughs> this was a good one, too. I was talking about casual sex and everything. People were like, what? What are you going to say? 50% of the Christian surveys say it was always or sometimes acceptable to have casual sex. Christians, 
17% said it was acceptable, rarely, like April Fool's Day or something. <laughs> and only one third said it was never acceptable. And God says, never, never acceptable. 18% of Christians said it was always or sometimes acceptable to be in an open relationship. If you don't know what that is, it's where the people in the relationship could date or have sex with other people. So you're married, but you can go do what you want. 18% of Christians thought that was acceptable. By the way, in case you're wondering, God also says no on that one. And so does your wife or your husband. Just nobody is cool. With, what is wrong with these people? Who is cool with that? All right. Anyway, 19% said it was always or sometimes acceptable to have sex on a first date. Christians. All right. Again, our God, who made us in his image and likeness, has been very clear about what's good for us. And yet we have many Christians who take actions that are never acceptable and believe that they're always, sometimes, or at least rarely, acceptable to do these things that God has clearly guided us and commanded us not to do. Sex is a wonderful gift, by the way. This is not going to be a sex sermon. Okay? <laughs> you know I love those, but this is not going to be a sex sermon, but sex is a wonderful gift for a married, monogamous man and woman who are committed to each other for life. Outside of that, it's not God's gift. It's perversion. It's perversion. It requires repentance, confession and repentance, not acceptability. So here's my point. People have caught things. This is just an example. An example. Don't believe that that's the only example where people are off. It's an example of people that have caught things. Because if we're not careful with our worldview, we will catch things that we're unaware that we're catching until they've all of a sudden become this belief and worked themselves out that when some person calls us on the phone and says, do you think it's acceptable to do this thing that God says is wrong? We're like, yeah, I think it's okay. You've just caught it. You've caught it. We have to be vigilant, attentive, aware, hyper-vigilant all the time about what is happening with our worldview, about what kinds of beliefs are going into that foundation and having us interpret the world and the way that we live in it, what we think about ourselves, what we think about God, what we think about each other. Those things are all affected tremendously by these things that we pick up. And so we have to be very, very, very careful. Another word we use for worldview is meta-narrative, which is just a $5 word for big story. Big story. A big story is a comprehensive or all-inclusive explanation of what we understand about the world. Okay? Again, everybody has one. Everybody has a way that they fit the pieces together. Some of them make sense and some of them don't. The Christian worldview is true. How do I know that? Because I've studied it, because I've lived it, because I've put the time and effort and energy and blood and sweat and tears into it. And I'm telling you, it's true. And for a Christ follower, our meta-narrative, our big story, <clears throat> is simple. God created the world, the universe, and everything in it through his son. We were made, each one of you, and myself even, in God's image and likeness. We sinned and fell from relationship with God. Then God set apart for himself his special people, Israel. 
And from those people, God incarnated his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who is all God and all man. Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life. And by his own choice, because no one could take his life from him, he gave his life up. And his sacrifice was the propitiation, the payment, the ransom for our sins. He atoned for all the things that we've done. Which is amazing. It's kind of the centerpiece of this worldview. All the sin that you were born into, all the sin that you've done, was done away with at the cross. If, if we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, we can be right with God for the sin we've done. We can have everlasting life by believing that Jesus is Lord. And we can be born again spiritually. And also, eventually, at the right time, we will be born again or redeemed, resurrected, glorified, fully body, soul, and spirit for the Christ follower. Jesus will return for his church and then return to bring judgment on the world and to make all things new. God will restore his creation and we will be with him forever. That's the Christian meta-narrative. That's it. It's relatively simple and yet very complex and full of life and love and truth. But believing it has consequences for sure. If that's what's underlying your worldview, it's going to have consequences for how you act, for how you think, for how you serve, for how you treat others, for your humility, for your kindness, for your gentleness, for your self-control, the way you think about sex, the way you think about money, the way that you treat your wife or your husband or your friends or your kids. Everything that you do is going to be affected by that worldview, by that meta-narrative. You have to understand its implications if you want to live as a Christ follower. You must do that. It is a comprehensive, all-encompassing belief. And the principles that come from that belief take work to know. They take work to know. And that work is what we're going to study for the rest of this message, Lord willing. Here's the deal, church. We have been given minds. Every one of you has been given a mind. God intends for you to use it. He intends for us to use them. That's what our minds are for. We are supposed to learn and grow in knowledge. And we are supposed to apply wisdom and understanding to that knowledge. That is something we are commanded to do. It's not like an optional thing. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to gain both knowledge and wisdom. Listen to this. I'm going to read some verses. We're going to knock them out. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But we don't all seek knowledge, right? Listen to the scriptures about that. 1 Corinthians 15.34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. Writing this to the church. Some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. It is a shameful thing that some of us in the church, in Christ's church, are not seeking knowledge, not seeking wisdom, not seeking understanding. We're going with the flow. And you know what happens when you go with the flow? You catch a bunch of junk. That's what happens. Romans 1.28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. What happens? God will give you over to a debased mind. If you're a person who will not 
Retain God in your knowledge, but instead suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. It's not going to go well for you. We are told as Christ followers that we can have wisdom. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom is not just something for a special group of people. This is important. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm not very wise. You can be. You may already be. Thinking that you're not very wise is usually a start. You can be. Ask of God and he will give it. Ask in faith, believing, not doubting, and he will give you wisdom. It's a gift from God. It's not just something that you can, anyone can get. If anyone could get it, there are a lot of people who spend all day reading books and have almost no wisdom. You can have wisdom, you can have knowledge, and you are commanded to have them both. Proverbs 8.10, receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice, gold. What's more valuable? Not a contest. Wisdom, knowledge. When I was in kindergarten, my mom will probably remember this. You know what I'm talking about? I still have this. Okay, so I was in kindergarten. This is, I'm just going to, it's a little self-brag for you because I was so wise at the time. We did this thing, and it was on like St. Patrick's Day. It was like, if you found a pot of gold, what would you spend it on? First, we got to color in the leprechaun and the gold, thing, you know, the rainbow, and there's the gold pot. The co- my coloring was, it wasn't great. But what would you do with it? So everybody's like, I would buy uh, whatever we liked back then in the early 80s. I don't remember what, you know, uh, shoes. I don't know. We were, we were into Atari. I would buy an Atari. I would buy whatever, right? I said on mine, I would give it all away because wisdom is better than gold. They put it up in the principal's office, okay? No idea. I had probably heard my dad preach that or something. And I was like, gold, I don't know much about gold, but he said wisdom is better. So I did that thing and yes, okay. Congratulations to me. Trust me. I didn't live that way, okay? The next however many years were not lived in that, uh, in that way, which is why I need Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Second Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 5, 1.5-6, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Diligence. You know what diligence is? It's working hard. Diligence, okay? Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How are you going to be fruitful? How are you going to live the Christ life? How are you going to be a Christ follower? You're going to diligently seek, pray for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That's how it works. That's how it works. Philippians 1.9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. And all discernment. Second Corinthians 8, 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. You getting a theme here? 
We are commanded to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Hosea 6.6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. They spent a lot, I mean, you got to think about this. They spent a lot of time, effort, energy, and money bringing to the temple the best of what they had. The best of what they had. And he's saying, over all that, over all that, I want mercy and knowledge. Pretty important. Pretty important. Romans 15, 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Some of you all like to admonish? Hey, get some knowledge first before you do a lot of admonishing. Be filled with all knowledge that you're able to admonish one another because that's how we grow. We're getting close. Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. When we get knowledge and wisdom, who are we like? Our father. He's wise beyond what we could ever be and knowledgeable beyond what we could ever be because, of course, he knows everything. We're supposed to be Christ followers. We're disciples of Christ. We want to be like him. You got to go after knowledge. You got to go after wisdom. Finally, this one. I really like this one. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> I could go on and on, honestly. I had a list. Verse after verse after verse. Scripture passage, scripture passage after scripture passage about how you should get knowledge, about how valuable knowledge is, about how valuable wisdom is, about how you should get wisdom, about how you should get understanding. The whole Proverbs which if you've been doing the daily Bible reading that's in the app, a little plug for that, you've been going through Proverbs. And so you would have heard quite a bit of this. We are called to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding, but we are missing the mark. That's Christ's church in the world today. I don't expect the world to have any of this. They sometimes have knowledge. They almost never have wisdom or understanding. But Christ's church, it's literally our calling and our job. If you want to love well, if you want to serve well, if you want to be like Jesus, you got to chase God's word. The knowledge that comes from it. The wisdom that he can give you. The understanding that he can give you. We're called to have knowledge and wisdom. But we are missing the mark. Here's the thing. We are drowning in God's word. It's everywhere. We say we're thirsty, and there's water all over, but we're not drinking. We're not drinking. This goes for, I think, all of us, at least from time to time. There's no famine. The Word of God is all around us. We have the Scripture. We got the app. We got tons of sermons. And you know what? Tons of really good churches also have access to all their sermons. You can listen to other people, too. And you're like, we know. We do. Can't, can't just listen to you. Hey, good. Listen to good, solid, biblical pastors who teach the word of God. There are so many places where we can get knowledge, but we have to want to do it. That means we can't always be distracted. When I wake up in the morning, honestly, it's a little bit of a battle because the first thing that's right there that's got my alarm on it is this, this thing, this phone. And there are a million things. I've got new emails. People wanting me to do things. People wanting to yell at me, whatever it is, right? I got that. 
I got the notifications and this and that and the other thing. I could check the news for the day. And I could, uh, there's so many ways to be distracted. If I do not say no, Bible first, I'm going to get, I'll do that later. When I do that, I'll do that later. It is the odds go extremely down on whether I'm going to get that done that day or get as much of it done as I need to that day. Got to get into it and not be distracted, which may be the most difficult thing in our age. There are so many things, there's so much information, but not all of it's knowledge and certainly not all of it's wisdom. Not a lot of it's wise. So many believers have become lazy in gaining wisdom and knowledge and instruction. So you can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of things for the Lord, for other people. You can. You can come here, and, and many of you do. We serve in many ways. But we cannot serve so much that we stop learning about the one whom we serve. We're so busy serving him. Kind of that Martha versus Mary thing, right? Get so busy serving that we forget the better part that is hearing the word of the Lord, growing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. As for the difference between wisdom and knowledge, if you're wondering, there is a, here's a great description. Um, a lot of you have probably been on this website. It's called gotquestions.org. A lot of Bible questions that they answer. Um, a lot of their stuff is pretty good. This is what it says about wisdom versus knowledge. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. So you got knowledge. You got knowledge. Wisdom is how you apply that knowledge. Here's their explanation. Knowledge understands the light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves him. Got to have both. As you can see, you could have a lot of knowledge, but if you don't know what to do with it, doesn't do much for you. You must get them both, knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Now, there are a couple possibilities why so many Christians are so lacking in wisdom and knowledge. A couple of them that I see. There's probably several, but let me give you a couple. There's, there's got to be a reason why those stats that I read to you earlier from, from that survey are true, right? There's, that so many Christians believe that it's acceptable to be sexually perverted. That according to scripture, these things are wrong, and according to them, they're okay. One, they actually don't have the knowledge. That's a possibility. They don't know. It hasn't been taught, right? We fail to teach the scriptures as God's people. We focused a little too much on bringing them in, right? A little, a little self-reflection here on Christ's church, being fair. Focus a little bit too much on bringing them in. A little too much on making sure no one leaves. A little too much on this, a little too much on that. And what gets lost in that are the things in Scripture that most people find difficult because those aren't good for bringing them in in people's minds. Those aren't good for keeping them around. Now, providentially, you don't have to worry about that with me because I can go get a job, you know, if you all leave. Um, but we're going to teach the Word of God here. Not everybody does, and the church hasn't always done that, and that's one of the reasons, right? We have failed to light the fire of passion for God's word and God's truth in the people of God. We've shown them who Jesus is, we've shown them a gospel, and we've failed to ignite their passionate fire to know him more because we make it too easy. Make it too easy. They should want to know God's truth. They should thirst for God's truth. We should all do that, and we don't all do that. 
Or we've been so hypocritical that other Christians just don't believe that we believe what we say we believe because of what we do. So they don't believe it either. We just haven't led by example as believers. I'm not, I'm not getting on anybody individually here. I'll put it all on me. We have been hypocritical enough that when we say we believe this about sex, we believe this about money, we believe this about the way you should we believe this, and then we go do something else, and what people start to do is they go, oh, they don't really believe what they say about that, so I don't need to either. That's a possibility. Number two, they have the knowledge, but they don't have the wisdom to apply that knowledge to their lives. They got knowledge without wisdom. They know that God has said things in God's word about God's plan for sex. They know that but they don't think those things actually apply to what's acceptable in life, the way they have to live it. They, God doesn't understand the real world. He doesn't understand what I'm dealing with. I mean, how could he know? He's way up there, right? No. They think everyone else is okay with it. How could it be wrong? Because they haven't been grounded, rooted in knowledge and wisdom. We cannot begin to answer the serious questions of skeptics and seekers, those who are actually out seeking truth, we cannot begin to answer their questions if we do not start with strong knowledge and wisdom. You can't just learn a few tricks. You have to actually be bathed in knowledge and wisdom in the word of God if you want to be effective at teaching the word of God to the world that's dying and lost and needs to know him. We have to do that. It's our job, not just my job. It's your job. You got to get strong. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's who we got to be. How are you going to do that when we're not disciplined in knowledge? When we're not diligent in seeking it? We have to gain knowledge. We have to gain wisdom. We have to gain understanding. That means we have to look to the, to the scriptures, okay? First, foremost, primary, always will be the Bible and prayer. The Bible and prayer. Those prayers you say out loud, those prayers you think in your heart, asking God, give me wisdom, give me knowledge, help me understand your will, and reading his word. That's, that's number one. Number two is the church and the elders and the teachers that God has put in your life. You've got to see the church as something more than a weekly pep talk or TED talk that you can take or leave. Let me tell you something. The world and the forces of spiritual darkness have been selling. They have been selling their worldview. Some of us have bought some of it. All of us have probably bought some of it, and we need to root it out with knowledge. Some people have bought a lot of it. I'm going to tell you about a couple of ways that the world has been broken on this. The first one is postmodernism and what I'm calling I don't careism which are both very prevalent. Postmodernism is, is a disease, an intellectual disease, in my opinion, in our world. It was born from rebellion, and it has destroyed people's belief in truth at all. And it is so common. 
Here's the simple story to understand postmodernism, okay? I'm just gonna kind of walk you through it because it sounds like a really complicated term, but it's really not that complicated. Several hundred years ago, some people with decent knowledge, but not enough wisdom and not enough understanding, begin to think that their really big brains were going to solve all the problems of the world. They thought, we'll figure it all out. We will create the perfect world because we are so smart. They were beginning to understand how to do some scientific discovery at a reasonable level. They were reading and writing a lot of books. And they began to believe that they did not need God because they were so smart. They could figure it all out, right? They began to believe that they could solve all the problems of people, all the problems of nations through their philosophy and their scientific achievements and their technology and so on. Eventually, after they had pretty much destroyed the natural world, they began to build cars and railroads and big bombs and chemical weapons. As the fake Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. That's how they were. This period of time in history was called modernism. So now you know basically what modernism is. We all think we're really smart, and we all think we're going to figure out how to make the world perfect. That's where they were. All this came to a head in the early 1900s when the world went to war over some nonsense. It was called World War I, and about 20 million people were killed, and about 20 million more were wounded. And that was the end of the experiment of modernism. It didn't work. It didn't work. With all these, they had had several hundred years of moving towards utopia. And then the whole world basically destroyed itself. And you have to remember with those numbers, the world was much smaller than it is now. And tens of millions died and were wounded. Technology and knowledge without wisdom and understanding did not make the world a perfect place. And this began the postmodern era. Now you would think that modernism would learn its lesson and say to, them, say to itself, as if modernism was a person. Let's just imagine modernism was a person. It says, modernism says to itself, self, you know, we thought we were really smart. We rejected God and his plan, came up with our own plan, and it ended up killing most of the world between two world wars and a number of other problems. We know that that doesn't work and we're not going to figure that out, so maybe we should turn back to you. But that's not what, what modernism said to itself. It said, I'll become postmodernism. And postmodernism just says, nothing's true. They're so determined not to look to God. They're so rebellious that instead of going, we should go back. Sometimes progressing is going backwards. They didn't say that. They said, we're not right. No one's right. There are no truths. There are no meta-narratives, no big stories that are true. And that's postmodernism a rejection of knowledge basically at all. It turns out, according to postmodernism, we can't know anything except whatever's inside your own head, which, of course, for the atheistic postmodernist is only there because it was determined to be there by random atoms bouncing against each other. You're just a sack of meat and whatever you think you were determined to think, and so you can't even know if what you think is really what's true because you were determined to think it in the first place, which is also true of them thinking that about you. And we go, that's where it ends up. Because, of course, it's nonsense. It left us with everyone basically having their own truth. 
You've got your truth. I've got my truth. You, you hear this a lot now. I just want to speak my truth. No, you should shut up. Because <laughs> your truth is dumb. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, and it's funny, but it's true. A lot of people want to speak their truth, and their truth is nonsense. And they're allowed to speak their truth because that has become a postmodern thing. It used to be in the modern area when you said, modern era, when you said, I want to speak my truth, they said, prove it. Now they just say, feel it. Because there is no basis for truth anymore, right? So you run into that problem. The problem with all of that is that it's not true. There is a truth outside of you, regardless of how you feel or what you think, and whether or not you believe it. There is a truth. Once everyone starts believing there is no truth, it becomes very difficult to persuade them to believe things that really are true. When the gospel becomes nothing more than my truth, it is quite easy to reject it. It doesn't demand an answer because nothing demands an answer for the postmodern. On top of the rejection of truth or perhaps a symptom of it, was a loss of trust in traditional sources of what I would call community knowledge. Community knowledge, okay? There was a time when if scientists said something like the earth was roughly 238,900 miles away from the moon, people believed it, right? Because the scientific community had built up enough trust with the community in general to have some authority to speak on something like that because that's well within the bounds of science, right? We can measure certain things, and when scientists measure things, we generally were willing to be like, okay, I believe your ruler works, so I'll trust you on that. When a politician said we needed to ration gasoline because there was a war, we believed them. Because even politicians at that time had built up a certain amount of trust. When a pastor said the Bible says sex outside of marriage is wrong, people believed it. When a teacher in a school said a giraffe was 15 to 20 feet tall, people believed it. Then postmodernism hit. And with it, scientists and politicians and pastors and teachers and all these people that used to help provide community knowledge, they did something really weird and really wrong. They started saying things that weren't true and expecting people to believe those things because people generally trusted them. Don't get me wrong, people have always lied, okay? I'm not saying that it's new. Like, you mean politicians didn't used to lie? No, most of them are lawyers, so you know the answer to that question, right? <laughs> They've always lied, but this became a cultural phenomenon and a very widespread one. So you'd see things like this. This is an example that you might have seen in your own life. People on the Discovery Channel saying things like, this dinosaur, for which they have like one bone that they found, they've created the whole rest of it looked like such and such and such and such and lived 110 million years ago and ate such and such and whatever, right? They didn't say, we think maybe, based on some guesses, a few of which may have been educated, that this happened. They didn't talk like that. They said, this is true. And the problem with that is that teachers would then repeat those things and other people would repeat those things because you're supposed to trust the people with the white lab coats who became essentially the priests of modernism. The priests of modernism, replacing sort of the church, were scientists and philosophers and people like that. 
They were the people who got to speak the truth authoritatively. So when the Discovery Channel, which is science-y, right? Except now it's all like reality TV shows. But there was a time when they were trying to do science, although it's, I put that in quotes for a reason. It's not really science. But they were guessing. They were guessing and talking with authority. Okay? And then teachers would say them in school because they learned them from their professors who were at college who also used to be people that we look to for community knowledge, but they themselves got very high on themselves in the postmodern era and started saying, people listen when I talk so I can say whatever I want to say. And so the people that they were teaching ended up saying things that were untrue because they said things that were untrue because the other people said things that were untrue and it just started going like this. Because after all, in a postmodern world, the only thing that's true is whatever you think is true. And it infected everything. And so on with pastors and with politicians and with whoever you want to look at who used to carry some authority, they lost it. And eventually people started saying, I can't trust anything people say. The problem was that postmodernism had so infected the education system that people who were starting to realize that these people weren't always telling the truth didn't have the skills because the education had become schooling, was not good anymore for most people, and they could not figure out knowledge on their own because they didn't have the research skills, they didn't have the skills in reasoning and philosophy and logic, they didn't have the ability to do that because we all weren't taught very well. I don't know if you know this. But we weren't taught very well a lot of things that are really important. And so in the vacuum of knowledge, the vacuum of knowledge, where they're basically people who didn't trust in anything, and the vacuum of beliefs, marched social media and the internet. Well, you want to talk about a perfect storm. If you don't think we're in the end times, you get another thing coming. And now everyone, everybody was now an expert. I had quotes on that if you're listening on the, um, online. Everyone's an expert. Everyone's putting out facts and interpreting them. And people have found new voices to be their authorities. And so instead of fixing the problem by going back to a system where we use our God-created minds correctly, we started finding niches, niches and tribes and we started feeding our own confirmation biases, which just means we found the voices that said the things that we wanted to hear and decided those were the voices we should listen to. And so you have a bunch of echo chambers happening without a lot of real thought and knowledge. Not a lot of it is based in Scripture. Not a lot of it is done that way. But we tend to find tribes and niches, and we go to them, and we listen to the people that we want, which is why you see all media now takes a hard side somewhere. Because people have now just gone to listen to people that say what they want to hear rather than being certain that what they're saying is true. This is where we are in society today. For some people, especially younger folks, but not just younger folks, this has led to what I called I don't careism. I don't careism is a way of thinking that is just apathetic. They don't care, right? People don't necessarily believe you're wrong. This is the interesting thing. It used to be like, you've got to go fight the atheists. They all believe that there's no God. That's not what I see. A lot of what I see is, I tell them about God, and they're like, yeah, that could be true. I don't care. Jesus Christ died for your sins. That might be true. I don't care. You should probably come to church. Eh, I don't care. I've got my Xbox, my computer, my phone, maybe a couple of friends, some booze, some whatever, and I just don't care. 
That's where a lot of people in the world are today because they're just fed up with it. They can't do it in terms of finding truth because all these people have fallen that used to be authorities, and everyone is now saying it's your truth, it's your truth, it's your truth, and they go, I can't figure all that out, and so what I've decided to do is I'm out. Intellectually, I'm out. Philosophically, I'm out. Theologically, I'm out. I just don't care anymore. And so a lot of people that aren't in this church today or watching online aren't doing it because they necessarily hate God or even think it's untrue. They just don't care because that's what postmodernism has done to them. They just don't care. Jesus died for their sins, and they don't care. They're apathetic. They find some other way to have meaning through all those things that I just talked about. And what happens is they become depressed and unmotivated, and we have a, an epidemic of depression, anxiety, mental illness, difficulties with people because they're apathetic. And once you get apathetic, you start to lose hope. But we have a job to them, to witness to them, just like we have a job to witness to everyone else. It's a trap of postmodernism, and I don't careism that these things happen. They lead to the second enemy of knowledge and wisdom and truth, and that is another attitude that I see. And that's the people who believe I'm knowledgeable because I say I'm knowledgeable. This group makes up most of the extreme tribalists in the world from hardcore political partisans to extreme pharisaical religious folks, people who are absolutely certain. They've rejected authority in general, except mostly themselves or perhaps a few uh, leaders or so on that they agree with, a particular political leader, or religious leader, or social activist or whatever. They're like really tied into that person. They are often wrong, but never in doubt. Never in doubt. They often believe absurd things about whoever the other side is, whoever that is in their life. They deal in conspiracy theories and other fringe beliefs often. They're active in seeking knowledge, but that knowledge seems to almost always be from sources that tend to prove their tribe to be correct. And so it becomes an echo chamber. And so they're hard to talk to. They're hard to reason with. They're strong advocates of what some call private judgment. Now, private judgment, an example in the Christian world of private judgment is this. It's me and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, and I don't need you or anybody else. I get to say what the Bible says. I get to say what it means for me. It's just another really postmodernism, although it's happened for a really long time. It actually predates postmodernism. There have been people like this. All I need is me and the Holy Spirit. I don't need any other authority in my life of any kind. I can do this on my own private judgment. I actually saw this lead to quite a few um, serious believers into things like Catholicism or higher church, what we call higher church, Episcopal, where they have these really strong hierarchy systems because they were so fed up with having no rules. You get to say the Bible says this and I get to say it says this and we just all have to say that's your truth and this is mine. Private judgment. Private judgment because you're certain that you're right. You're the final authority on what the Bible says and what it means. A person like that has no understanding of the roles of service in the church. None. No humility about the role of the spiritual leadership of the elders and the pastors in Christ's church. They do not submit to anyone, but they say God. Of course, their submission is based on their interpretation of the Bible, which often leaves them not having to submit very much. 
This person is postmodern, essentially, because they reject the idea that there's any authority to speak truth. So, what is our call? What is our call as Christians who are called and commanded to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding in a postmodern, post-truth, post-Christian, post-whatever world? We're to seek understanding, we're to seek knowledge, and we're to seek wisdom. It's very simple. Those are your jobs. All of these things require humility. We must, must have humility. The words of Oliver Cromwell to the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland are useful here. This is what he said to them. I beseech you in the bowels of Christ to think it possible that you may be mistaken. Christ follower, consider that you may not know as much as you think you do. And consider that thinking that you know more than you do, which is also against the scripture, if you read Romans 12, is harming you and harming other people. We have a responsibility to gain knowledge, to gain wisdom, and to gain understanding. We have to seek those things. Consider that there may be those whom Christ has gifted and called to serve you and to disciple you. I know that's hard. It requires a certain level of humility and a certain level of submission. But consider that their service in teaching knowledge is more than a Sunday morning suggestion. If you were under the impression that what the pastors and elders that come up to this pulpit and preach were doing were giving you some suggestions for how you might want to think about living your life, you have greatly misinterpreted what we're doing here. We're teaching you the word of God. It's not a suggestion. These are the commands of God to you. And he's using the people who are put in these particular roles in the church to dig deep and hard so that we can bring out to you the things that you need to know and do. That's the fact. And it is a great responsibility and a very humbling one and a very dangerous one if we who do it and who are called to do it don't do it in absolute service and humility and love and commitment to Christ. And if we ever don't do it that way, you ought not to listen to it. That's why you have a Bible. You can check it. You can check it. Consider that Christ's church has been set up to help you follow him in the command to get wisdom, to get knowledge, and to get understanding. And just because some people lie and deceive, and that's created this postmodern mess, doesn't mean that all people do. Those of us who have the Holy Spirit and who are seeking after Christ are not lying to you. We want you to know things that you might have wisdom to apply to that knowledge and that you might have understanding to know what it's doing, who you are, who God has made you to be, and that you might bring that to other people. I know there's people who have given you reason not to trust them. I don't trust many of them either. That doesn't mean there isn't much knowledge, much wisdom to be gained by the person who is a Christ follower who asks God in faith. We are to be spreading God's Knowledge throughout the world. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Praise God. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. This is for you essential oil people. Right? You got the diffuser? You are supposed to be a diffuser. 
That's your job. You are walking around in the fallen world diffusing the knowledge of the perfect holy son of God. He has said, I will use you to literally diffuse my knowledge to the world. Well, what I know about diffusers, and I know very little, not being an expert on essential oils, but you got to put some oil in there if you want to diffuse something. You want to diffuse the knowledge of God, you better get it. Not think you already have it, not think you already know everything you need to know, not think you're right about everything, but get that knowledge that when you walk around, it's diffusing out to the people that they might come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. It's about more than our pride in what we know. It's about our humility in showing them who he is and serving the world that they might come to know Jesus Christ. We have to learn to seek knowledge, wisdom, and understanding from the scriptures by reading them daily. We have to learn to seek knowledge and wisdom and understanding from the teachers and elders that God has appointed to teach us. I myself am a man under authority. Under God's authority, secondarily, I'm under the authority of the elders of Acts Church because this is where I've been called. Right? I'm also under the authority of my wife, for those of you who are wondering. It's a different issue altogether. In some ways, we are all people under authority that others might serve us by teaching us. We have to learn to be submissive and consider that we may be mistaken about some things. Or we will end up seeing the saints, God's precious children, Christ's church, embarrassing ourselves in front of the world by believing nonsense like that God is okay with any sexual perversion that you want to do. That's embarrassing. That's a blight on Christ's church when we do things like that because we haven't sought knowledge. We haven't been careful about what's coming to our worldview. We have to speak truth. We have to live truth. It's our job, guys. If we want to do that, we have to seek the Lord. Proverbs 2.6. For the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. You're not going to go find it by yourself. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where are you going to find it? From the Lord. Seek it. We've got to seek it. If we want to see these chairs, the online, the whatever, filled with people coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We've got to have it and diffuse it to them. It's our job. Brothers and sisters, we must not be like the world. We must not be like the world. We are set apart, put in the world to do a job. We've got to gain knowledge, gain wisdom, gain understanding. When we do that, Acts Church will be a church that diffuses the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in every place. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Acts Church or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, AxeChurchNW.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Axe Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.